You are listening to the Heavenly Chi Podcast, Episode 1. Today we're talking about having a clean agenda in the clinic. We're looking forward to taking a deep look into this aspect of clinical interaction for Chinese medicine practitioners. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers. And I'm Fee Kitchen. Welcome to the Heavenly Chi Podcast. We're so happy to have you with us. The Heavenly Chi Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at www.heavenlychipodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Chi Podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, listeners. I'm Fee Gitchum, and I'm having a conversation today with Claire Pyers about having a clean agenda in the clinic as a Chinese medicine practitioner. We're just going to discuss between us what this means to us, and it's a topic that we both feel quite deeply about and thought it would be a great place to start our podcast so you can get to know us a little better. We'd also love to hear from you about what having a clean agenda means to you where you can write on our Facebook page. So, Claire, uh, what does having a clean agenda as a practitioner mean to you? How would you define that? For me, having a clean agenda means being present for my patients and not letting my own inner dialogue, my own issues, my reactions, not allowing those things to cloud my ability to see my patients and to properly assess what they need, and what I can offer them as a practitioner. It doesn't mean that those inner dialogues and issues and reactions aren't occurring. They happen ongoing as part of my interaction with anyone, really, and even between patient and practitioner. But what having a clean agenda means to me is that these activities of my mind as a practitioner and judgments that are happening in my mind are quietened to allow for a more complete healing space to be created yeah I would say I agree with a lot of that too I think there's another level to it as well whereby we become aware of the changes that the observer can create so the pressure of what I'm focused on or the image that I might have in my mind that is uh, perhaps shielding the patient because of an idea that I have shielding them from me so I can't see them clearly, that also acts as an energetic pressure on their body. So it might also change the way that we perceive the indicators that we're looking for as practitioners, like the pulse and the tongue. So we all change when we're in the presence of another person's perception of us because if the perception has a projection in it, It's a form of pressure. See, that's really interesting when you say that. Um, It makes it sound to me like there's something that's physically happening in your body. Do you have any observations on that that level when you're in the consult with a patient? Well, I know that if I'm with someone who has an, an idea in their mind that's clouding their perception of me, I know that it feels like pressure in my body. And so I'm coming from the position of really trying to be aware. Obviously, we can't change. As you said, you have your, you're always going to 
be filtering the world through your understanding of things. However, as a practitioner, I aim to be aware of when my understanding of something might be creating that kind of pressure. And so that awareness for me occurs as how do I monitor my own clean agenda? I mean, how do you know if your agenda is clean? Often you might need someone else to point it out to you or you might need to bump up against something to even realize when your agenda is not clean. And and when you've had some practice with this, you can get to the point where you might be able to feel it energetically as a physical pressure arising between two people in space. And you can feel if you're sending the pressure or receiving the pressure. It's yeah. a great source of misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like that idea. I think for me, when I'm aware that that I might be having my own prejudices interfering with my communication with the patient, my interaction with the patient, I think that I feel it most. I, I feel it most in my chest, in my heart area. And I just feel like there's a, there's a block or a wall of some sort between the, between the patient and me. I think when I'm, when I'm in a consult and things are flowing freely and I'm, you know, and the flow is there, that there, that there is a free flow of energy that I'm aware of Mm -hmm. on a subtle level between my heart and their heart or my energy and their energy. And when I feel my agenda maybe getting in the way, that's, that's when I feel that that link shut down and and it causes me to reflect and often I'll take a moment or two just to recollect myself and to just clear out what I might be going on with in my mind with my own little story and I'll come back and re refocus my attention on my patient and maybe refocus on how would you, you know maybe saying something to the patient like you know how do you want me to help you with this? Or, you know, the, the issue that I might be getting stuck on, trying to really connect with my feeling of wanting to be in service for my patient because I'll, I think that when I get blocked with my agenda, it takes me away from feeling like I'm in service for the patient and I've got my own thing that I want to do and I'm like, okay, no, hang on, I'm actually here for the patient. They're engaged my services to help them and so I try and reiterate that for myself as a way of moving past it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such an interesting topic to discuss deeper because um, I think a lot of us understand, you know, you don't want to come in with a, a preconceived idea of someone because they're from a particular culture or something, yet at the same time we might be aware as a practitioner that, that their genetic or cultural heritage might predispose them to certain conditions or certain chi patterns, you know, so we're going to be looking out for those things. If, we, if we're looking at someone who has a lineage that has trouble with sugar and I'm going to be looking out for those things yet at the same time trying to remain really open and I think it's beautiful to remember, as you said, that what we're really scanning for is very simple we can make the topic very complicated but it's very simple at the end and that is that do we feel really open and comfortable with each other and are we able to create that space as a practitioner and when we're not these are the things we need to scan it's always how do I 
somehow block people out from having that connection with me as a practitioner. And then I think that goes two way where it might also block our capacity to perceive that sort of more, um, you know, the genius realisation of the diagnosis to see what's going on at the um, peeling back the onion and really getting right to the core sooner rather than later. So what are the, um, when you become aware that maybe this might be going on within a consult, what are some of the strategies that you use to get back on track? I think it definitely comes back to reminding yourself to be in your heart and really enjoying and allowing yourself to be open to being surprised by people. So, you know, some I guess if, if something happens or, or the patient says or reveals something or their tongue or pulse doesn't look the way I thought it was going to go, this is a, quite an exciting moment for me because, first of all, I'm, I'm learning, I'm seeing something new, there's so many unique patterns of chi and I'm not getting fixed into a, any particular um, mode of diagnosis where I'm always going to see the same patterns in people because that's what I'm, the, the filters I'm looking through. And I think that that belongs to being in your heart is that just really remembering and reminding yourself to constantly come back to the centre of that whereby the being sitting in front of you can also be completely recreated in every moment. They're not going to be fixed into patterns because you're seeing them that way. So I'm aware of that. Part of the effect of the pressure I was mentioning is that we can actually limit each other by holding each other in a fixed viewpoint or in a a viewpoint that's not accurate or it's not unlimited enough for how we really are. So if we want to help people heal, it's really important that we hold a much bigger perception of them so they have room to move from the position they're currently in. So there's change, there's space for change. I like that, the idea of creating, you know, creating a bigger possibility for the patient and holding that space for them until their capacity extends into that into that realm. Mm. I really like that idea. Yeah, it's like keeping a space on the couch for someone <laughs> if they wanted to go and sit there. I saved you a spot. Yeah. <laughs> I saved you a spot in the healed place. Yeah. I think also there's a whole bunch of things that we do that occur outside of the treatment that have to do with lifestyle and personal practice. And I think it's quite rare for our profession that we have things like Qigong as part of our degree um, and and the, the philosophies behind Chinese medicine that span Taoism and Buddhism and Zen and a whole bunch of other philosophies to do with personal development and self-awareness and it's a it's a beautiful magical energetic medicine so if we are as a human living developing our own energetic awareness of ourselves and then nothing happens in isolation we then develop energetic awareness of relating so me relating with um the day the patient my mood the consult the the patient's presenting pattern of the day and their goal and the process that I perceive would be the best path to go down from there 
which may also surprise us. I think sometimes we start a treatment plan and then the pathway uh, reveals itself to to be slightly different from where we think it's going to go. Sometimes, you know, we really know our stuff and it happens exactly as we think. And sometimes the person in front of us reveals exactly as we think, but usually that come, that kind of wisdom develops as a result of being empty. If we're thinking about it from the point of view of, you know, personal development and self-reflection and cultivating one's own energy, what are some of the the tools that you've picked up along the way, what are some of the practices that you have in your in your life that have helped you to cultivate a cleaner agenda? Mm. Just being really honest with yourself, yeah, and getting that to a deeper level and being able to get around obstacles such as seeing what you what you aspire to be feeling and then seeing what you're actually feeling which um, comes up in meditation. So if you, if you are, you know, sometimes people are practicing, I think it's been called spiritual bypassing. So they're, you know, they're meditating and they're really into being positive and really being present and not having an agenda. And, you know, I'm a practitioner, so I'm not, not clouding my judgment of the patient in front of me. And that might lead to aspiring to not feel angry when you feel angry and therefore not being aware of how angry you are. So I think it's really important to just cut all that and actually see what is there in its really pure, simple form. I like that. Cut the crap. Yeah, cut the crap. Meditate. Get yourself prepared for clinic. I like to exercise and do some martial arts type things and yoga and meditation. And I find that doing those in the morning, especially before a practice day, can really set me up to be in my most wise place for the day what about you what are some of the practices that you do or techniques uh so my my practices and techniques i've done a lot of different things over the years in the quest for knowing myself better i've spent many years working with a Jungian analyst going through and working out all of the deeper workings of my unconscious, my subconscious, and that was a really great process, particularly for really getting into unlocking some of those almost instinctual reactions. You know, if someone presses my buttons, you know, I've, I've been a very reactive person in the past, and one of the things that I found that happened in very early on in clinic was that if a patient came in with a particular issue or spoke to me in a certain way, it would push my buttons and all of a sudden, you know, I've lost I've lost my capacity to, you know, to be able to assist them. Yeah, so that, that was something that happened earlier on in my practice and that was um, helped a lot by the Jungian an, um, analysis process. Um, I, I did a two-and-a-half-year yoga teacher training program that was a very transformative type of yoga and I was lucky to have a really great teacher and mentor throughout that process and that allowed me to in a really great space and a really safe space to be able to really explore the way that I interacted with other people and that whole idea of yoga as union. 
And I guess just in general having the intention to observe myself and to reflect on myself and to, you know, to be regularly reflecting on the ways in which I've interacted with, you know, my colleagues and my patients and just people within my life. I found that a really useful process to always be having in the back of my mind, you know, taking taking responsibility for the things that I need to take responsibility for. My business coach has been a really great person for that. So I haven't had the usual the usual ways of going about it. I guess there's no real right or wrong way. I never felt a, an affinity with Qigong or Tai Chi practices. And so I looked for other ways to achieve similar similar outcomes. Mm. Mm. I think this is really also a learning curve that every graduate goes through once you once you graduate because you know in the in the courses when we learn about having a clean agenda it really is the more shallow level of understanding well you know don't don't come in with prejudice or don't make assumptions but what that actually means in practice and then understanding and being a part of experiencing the energetic effects of it you know, and, and understanding how deep it goes. It's a wonderful teacher. I think it's one of the most exciting things about being a practitioner is that every time you have a patient, you're actually being taught how to be more present, more empty, and to perceive more. I really agree with that. And I also think that in many ways, the patient comes along at the right time when, you know, if there's a particular lesson to learn mm. for the practitioner to learn or if there's a particular you know hump to get over sometimes you'll not just get one patient you'll get you know three four or five patients who've all got the same thing they're all pushing your button all in the same way and you're like wow I've really got to get this sorted because yeah you know I'm getting a really clear message from the universe that hey it's time that you got this you know mm. you got on top of it I mean I think that happens with ailments you get a wave of people with you know, similar ailments that cause you to have to develop your knowledge. But definitely the, observing those waves of patients bringing different responses or reactions out of you uh, is also something to watch and something um, I'm really grateful for, really, being able to get better and better at feeling. For me, it happens in the body. So I, I might be thinking, oh, whoops, did I just project something onto the person? But the real knowledge of what just happened or what's happening is experienced in my body whereby, you know, if someone's in front of you and they're sad, they might be smiling and not saying that they're sad, but you can feel that they're sad and a child can feel that they're sad. And we're really operating on that level then as practitioners just be able to stay in that place where we're listening and we're listening with our body rather than putting things into the space. We're listening to the space and we're listening to the energy in their body and our body and adjusting ourselves. If something happens in that space that we have caused that creates a form of pressure or disruption. Well, I guess that's what it really comes down to is to, um, as much as we can, to remove us, the practitioner, as a cause of disharmony within our patients mm. and to make sure that whatever disharmony we're observing is actually there and is not being put there by us mm. and is not being created by 
the way we're interacting with the patient. Yeah, where you see a certain side of someone based on the union of the two of you. As with every relationship, what comes out of that relationship is the sum of the two. And so if we can be as quiet as possible in that space, we can really listen to the patient, I think. And it's one of the reasons why over the years I would often, if I'm treating one person uh, who would ask if their partner or their someone in their family or someone else can attend the session, yet the other person's really not part of what we're treating, I often say no because people change in the presence of someone else. But then again, it is interesting if you're treating people to then observe them with the other person in the room and to see what else they reveal. So I think what, what each heart enlivens in the other can be brought forth and what each heart seeks from the other can be brought forth. If somebody wants particular knowledge from you, you might just start talking about it. You might give them one of your bag of metaphors or whatever that speaks to their language because that's the effect of their presence on your body. So, yeah, having a clean agenda for me is really just about being aware of all those things so that I can be listening and as present as possible to perceive as much as possible so I can get to their diagnosis and give them what they need, which might not always be what they're asking for either. And now one of the things that I know about you, Fee, is that you have a great interest and have had for a long time in shamanic healing and shamanic medicine. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how your learnings from shamanic teachings can, um, how that has an impact on this issue of a clean agenda? Well, it's made me a lot more aware of the difference between what goes on in our thoughts and what goes on in our body and has led to my emphasis on listening to the feelings and trying to quieten the thoughts so that you can listen to the other person and even listen to what might be going on in their inner dialogue because they'll tell you when they start telling you their story. So it's given me the awareness of I mean, I would say everything. The short answer to your question is it's informed everything and it's become everything and everything then has to become nothing so that it can be empty and become everything. (laughs) Yeah, the idea of emptiness, you know, you speak of, you know, being empty and Mm. how you tell, can you Mm. go a bit more into detail about that emptiness? Well, that's an Asian Taoist thing and Buddhism. Um, Yeah, emptiness is an interesting word, I think, in English because we might think that it means lacking. Like I come in with no, I don't know anything about acupuncture and sometimes I feel that way and that's great, but sometimes I know everything about acupuncture. And I think emptiness is more so to do with that mode of being willing to receive what's there rather than coming in with an attitude of, I know what's here, I know who you are, I know what's going on with you, um, so that because you might see what's going on with someone in that moment, but then that moment's gone and you're in the next moment and something new could be presented. And if you're still hanging on to that full cup, so to speak, of having seen everything, you might not see what gets presented in the next moment. So every moment is an ongoing, changing, living, unfolding 
And as chi needs to flow and not be stagnating, I think our perception needs to flow as well with time in that way through space. I think that's really interesting. And what comes to mind is the way in which we interact with long-term patients. If we've had an ongoing relationship with a patient, maybe over, you know, over a number of years and the preconceived ideas that we have about who they are and, and what they need and how we interact with them. And I think that that's a really, I think that's probably for me, one of the things that I find the most challenging is that not be, be, being careful not to overlook or dismiss things in someone just because I feel that I know what the disharmonies are and I feel like I know mm. where they're at with regards to their health that I don't, that has definitely been a blind spot for me that I've seen, you know, I've seen that from time to time and, yeah, I try to be more aware of it. I love that in terms of group practice where every now and then you go on holiday and one of your long-term patients will see someone else and and I get excited. I think, oh, wow, because somebody else might see something from a whole new perspective as well. Yeah, and, and I think that it just brings to mind one of the most beautiful things I heard about how to be good at, at relating and love. Uh, and I heard this, you know, when I was younger as a teenager and it's really stuck with me is that it has to do with having the openness to get to know someone again every time you interact with them, to not hold them fixed in the position of who you perceived them as last time. And I think we definitely need to do that with acupuncture because acupuncture, you treat the chi as it is in the session. Even if you know they have a lot of liver chi stagnation, if they come in and their liver chi is flowing, you treat them differently. It's a real trick, isn't it? Well, I hope you've enjoyed our session today. I think that's about all we've got time for, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic. And uh, feel free to write those to us on our Heavenly Chi podcast Facebook page where uh, discussions may spark and continue. Thanks for joining us. See you soon. Bye.